What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Then and Now Sports Podcast. Nick, the New Year's Six Bowls are going to get underway tonight. We're recording this Wednesday afternoon, and Oklahoma and Florida are going to kick it off in the Cotton Bowl. Before we get into a preview of all six of these games, which of these six games, or if there's any games outside of the six, because there are some other interesting bowl games, which is the bowl game that's intriguing you the most? Well, the one that's intriguing me the most, I would say, is the Peach Bowl between Georgia and Cincinnati. And I just think these are two interesting teams um, in terms of how their season went. You know, there there's narratives behind both of these teams. You know, Georgia um, had a QB change midway through the season, ha- have been very dominant since they made that decision. And then on Cincinnati side of things, how can they compete against a top team from the SEC? How do these um non-Power 5 teams compete with, you know, a, a top team in another conference? I, I think that's going to be very important to, to people who were who are caping for Cincinnati to be higher ranked and possibly in a playoff spot for, for some people. So I, I think that's a that's a game that that holds a lot of weight in terms of people's personal investments. Definitely does. When you always think about these group of five teams, it always seems like they match them up against an SEC team. I mean, the big, the example that's popping off to me is the Auburn-UCF game. And it's like, okay, you really think you're a good uh, team outside of these Power Five conferences? Okay, play from the best conference that we have to offer. And UCF won that game. So maybe it's not crazy to think that Cincinnati can take care of Georgia. For me, it was the Cotton Bowl. I was extremely pumped up for the Cotton Bowl with Oklahoma and Florida. It was going to be offense, offense, offense. Even though Oklahoma's defense has been playing very, very well, I still think Florida fully together would have been able to put a dent in their armor. I don't know about anymore. They're missing so many guys. And I guess let's just get into the preview because that's still, I guess that would still be my pick, the Cotton Bowl, because it's still an interesting on paper. You still got two great quarterbacks, two great coaches. So let's start with the Cotton Bowl. We got Oklahoma, as of right now, they're favored by minus four and a half. And I think that number's probably going to get bigger because they're playing without Kyle Pitts, Trevon Grimes, Kadarius Toney, Jacob Copeland. That's their four leading receivers in terms of yardage. Then you also lose your starting quarterback, Marco Wilson, who unfortunately is now famous for the shoot throw, but he is a very good player on top of that. Oklahoma is going to be playing without their starting quarterback in Trey Brown, another receiver in Jaden Hazelwood. I don't know, Nick. This is a lot of players that Florida is going to be missing tonight. How do you think they're going to look without these guys? Yeah, it's it's rough when it's not just a bunch of players. It's a bunch of very key players, like you mentioned, Tony Pitts. These are these are game changers. These are these are showstoppers on on the offensive side of the ball, and it's going to be very interesting to see how Kyle Trask adjusts to this because, like. You know, when it comes to his stock as an NFL QB going to the, into the draft, I think this is going to be a very interesting game to watch and, and for scouts to evaluate because it's really going to show his um his competency with with anybody on the football field, not 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 just players he's used to playing with, players that he's comfortable playing with, but as for the game itself, um yeah, I, I think this is tough for Florida to overcome and. Oklahoma has made strides throughout the season. Spencer Radler improved throughout the season as well. I I would take Oklahoma given the circumstances in this one. I'm wondering if Florida is going to go ahead and kind of change their game plan for this game. In terms of, you know, you were a highly passing attack, highly based off the passing attack. And now we're missing your four top receiving threats. Kyle Trask is still going to play well, we think, but you got to think, are we going to give the backs, are we going to get them more involved in the game? Damon Pierce, Malik Davis, these guys have both averaged 4.7 yards per carry, and Malik Davis actually is a big receiving threat as well, so I'm sure he'll be in part of the passing game. Uh, When you get to Oklahoma on the other side, I think they've been playing so well. They've been playing the best football down the stretch out of pretty much any team. You talk about they started off one and two, and since then they've won nine straight games, and they beat Iowa State, revenge, avenging one of their earlier losses, which was the, what both of their losses were by one possession, 
which is pretty interesting. And then you get down the stretch, they didn't play a one-possession game until last week against Iowa State, and they were in control of that game for the first half, and the second half, they kind of let Iowa State creep back in it. Now, I'm with you. I think Oklahoma's going to win it. I was going to pick Oklahoma before all these guys dropped out, and I said this to you before. It actually might be a bad thing for Oklahoma because now you're going to get these Florida guys who... Yeah, they're new, but they they got something to prove because these guys are going to be in the NFL draft. So they, they're going to be, you know, they're not going to be starters next year. So this next group of Florida guys are going to have to step up and make an impact right away. And I actually think that's going to hurt Oklahoma. But at the same time, I think Oklahoma's just been playing too well. Their defense is finally getting it. They haven't allowed over 30 points since Texas game in October. And I, I know that's kind of a, a, a weird stat because when you think of defense, you want to hold them to under 20 points, not to worry about 30. But this Oklahoma defense has struggled mightily throughout the years. They, one of those years they were a playoff team, I'm pretty sure they had the worst defense in the FBS. So the fact that their defense has made these strides is showing that they're going to be back in the playoff contention next year. And who knows, may, maybe they should have been in it this year. But I, I guess we're past that conversation at this point. Um, yeah, I, I agree with you about the Oklahoma defense. They really stepped up, um, made things simpler for Spencer Rattler as a young QB on this team. Um, and, and also, it, when it comes to the playoff conversation, I I think when you have those two losses in the beginning of the year, it's very hard to overcome that, especially when you come into the year as a team that's expected to to play to a higher standard than that. and there, there were just teams who, who played better and like even in, in a team like Ohio State case where they had lapses, those lapses never resulted in losses. And it, it's very hard to argue with that. I know this is a random spot to kind of put this segment, but let's, might as well since we brought up the playoff. Do you have any reservations about how the committee put those four teams in? Is there someone you think should have been higher? Is there someone who shouldn't have been in it? Or do you think they got it right with those four teams? I think those four teams, yeah, I would say those those are correct. If I if I did it, it would probably be the same. Mm-hmm. That kind of gears us into the Peach Bowl because some people thought that Cincinnati got disrespected by the committee. And to be fair, it was weird to see them drop consistently after you know not playing when some other teams that didn't play were not dropping as a result. In some cases, they were improving their position. So I understand that, but I, I'm fully on board with you. I think the four best teams in 2020 did not include Cincinnati. And if this was an expanded playoff, Cincinnati definitely has their spot. But when you're talking about the top four teams, Notre Dame did enough throughout the year. I don't think we should have thrown away their whole resume based off one bad, lousy performance against Clemson, even though it was bad and lousy. Uh, Alabama, we know what they've been doing with their offense all year. Ohio State, they were the tricky one because they had played six games, but they were a big conference champion, and they had kind of run through the Big Ten and faced their first bit of adversity. I guess you could technically say Indiana was some adversity, but... This Northwestern game was a legitimate uh, a legitimate uh, struggle for them. So getting past that at least showed that they're not, it, it's not easy, it's not a cakewalk for them. I kind of like to see that with teams. I like to see when teams are punched in the mouth and see how they respond. But moving on to this Peach Bowl now, we got Cincinnati, they're pretty much full strength. Georgia is going to get back Richard LeCount, who's missed a few games, but they are going to miss guys in Ben Cleveland and Monty Rice. So who do you got in this game now? With it's it's always a a spectacle to see this group of five team every year and see how they match up against the power five team who is usually ranked higher than them or high more highly regarded than them. Who do you got here? Well, I also want to want to take it back for a second to Cincinnati getting disrespected. Now, I'm not one of those people who thinks they should should have made the playoff or something like that, but I do think they might deserve to be ranked higher than, than teams that have two losses on the year. Like, I, I think that's a legitimate conversation to have. I, I definitely would have understood their ranking more if they were in the sixth spot as opposed to the eighth spot right now. And 
don't know. I feel like that is that that's a sign of disrespect. Like, oh, you you playing all these teams, some ranked teams, and you're you're not you're not better than a team that lost two games. And, and like in Florida's case, just just off the top of my head, like losing to LSU, who wasn't even particularly like a good team throughout the season, like that that just doesn't make sense to me. So I do feel like they were disrespected to to a certain point, and I think these these conversations need to be have had about how how these teams are treated compared to other teams. But yeah, like Cincinnati, I don't think they should have made a playoff with the teams that that are available to be in the playoff, like based on resume, but they should have been ranked higher. Now, moving on to the, to the game. Um, I'm actually, after, after hyping up Cincinnati so much, I'm actually going to take Georgia in this game. So yeah, I just think since, since Georgia switched, switched to JT Daniels as their QB, they've just been very good. Very, um, just played a lot cleaner more more power on the offensive side of the ball and their defense ha- has been has been solid all year even even in games like the Alabama game they they probably out of all the teams this year played one of the better defensive games against Alabama even even if like that that game was still pretty high scoring so yeah i, I just think even though Cincinnati is also a good defensive team i just think all around um Georgia has the better squad and they're going to come out on top in this one probably a close game though I, I would give Cincinnati a chance I don't know how close I think any of these games are going to be to be quite honest with you and I would bet money if this is probably got one of the bigger spreads actually not the bigger spread but minus seven is a pretty big one for this game and I, I would if I was a betting man I would probably say Georgia covers that and I think JT Daniels is a huge part and why, because there have been a completely different offense since giving him control. He has nine touchdowns to one interception, 839 yards on the year. And he's only been playing in limited games, only has 81 pass attempts. And talk about since that Florida game, they have looked completely different. Getting through Mississippi State, destroying South Carolina and Missouri on the road. And now you play play Cincinnati team who is very good, but they have had some struggles of their own. I I wouldn't say they struggled a lot through the season, but you talk about the Tulsa game was very close. Central Florida, I I know that was a bit of an up and down game, but at the end they had control, but that was still a fight for them. I think Cincinnati is a good team, a very solid team, but I think they're just running up against a far better talented team, far more talented team in Georgia. And I, I, I'm always rooting for the group of five teams to take down the power five teams because I, I, like I'm with you. They're disrespected to the fact that no, they shouldn't have been a playoff team, but give them credit for going nine and zero in their conference and being the best team from that conference. I feel like they didn't get their respect that was earned, and I feel like most group of five teams do not get that respect. So I'm, I'm rooting for Cincinnati, but when you're looking at both of these teams side by side, I think Georgia is clearly the better team. Yeah, I I think I agree with that assessment 100%. I would just disagree with like the gap. I I could easily see Cincinnati being in this game. It's not I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility. I hope it's not, but I think Georgia with JT Daniels is as as finally hitting their stride, which is it begs the question, why didn't they start JT Daniels early on or at least give him a shot early on? I know Stetson Bennett kind of stepped up immediately and he did play very well. You know, people forget that when he first came in, he was playing well, but then clearly he lost it during that Alabama game. I think that's kind of when his confidence got shot shortly after that. But uh, moving forward now, we can get to the Fiesta Bowl, which has Iowa State and Oregon. Now we have some injury concerns with Oregon as CJ Vertle, their running back status is in question. Adrian Jackson also as well. And Oregon dealt with a lot of opt-outs before the season. You talk about Panay Sewell, their star left tackle, their starting safeties and Brady Breeze and Javon Holland, Thomas Graham, starting cornerback, all guys who opted out before the season. Iowa State's fully healthy now, coming off their disappointing end in the Big 12 championship. With all of these surrounding parts to this game, surrounding pieces to the game, with that, with missing all these guys, with some 
Iowa State being fully healthy, is Oregon good enough as currently constructed to keep this a close game, Nick? Well, Oregon's been dealing with the, this the whole season, and they, they've managed to be competitive with, with, with some good teams, e- even winning against USC in the Pac-12 championship. So I definitely wouldn't write them off just because of opt-outs alone. And it it depends for me on when, when you ask, like, is Oregon good enough? you know, to, to keep this a close game. I think this, this game, if it's close, is going to entirely depend on Iowa State. I think after what we saw against Oklahoma, Brock Purdy um, turning over the ball, you know, they, they, they were going to, they were making a comeback in that game against Oklahoma. And it, it probably would have been a lot better looking for them if there weren't just so many times the key turnovers at key moments of the game, like they they had momentum and and it just seemed like it was squandered at at, at very particular moments. It, it, you just can't let that happen. And you know, on top of that, this this isn't really something new for Iowa State. Um, they're one of the only um teams in the top ten that has a negative turnover margin. I think Florida is actually the only other one. Um. I might be wrong on that, but it, it's definitely only a few teams. It's not it's not the majority. Um, So, so yeah, I, I think if this game is close, it's going to be dependent on Iowa State's ability to control the ball. You know, keep it away from Oregon. Don't give Oregon many chances to get in this game to come back if that's the case. And so, yeah, I think Oregon has a chance, but they're going to need some help from Iowa State to do so because I think Iowa State is the better team on paper. See, I think when we think of Oregon, we're kind of our minds are brought back to, well, immediately towards last season when Justin Herbert was great with this offense. Of course, Marcus Mariota, and we know that in the past, their offense has had a history. And this year in their, their six games, they are averaging 30 points over 30 points a game. But this offense doesn't seem like it's clicking for me. And they have a very balanced rushing attack led by C.J. Vertle and Travis Dye. But then you go up against an Iowa State team who is allowing only 3.2 yards per carry. And then they had one, two, three, four, five, six games this year. Six of their 11 games, they averaged under, they allowed under three point yards, three yards per carry. So they have a very stout rushing defense. And I think the defense is what's been keeping them in a lot of games, specifically the Texas game. It seemed like Texas was outplaying them for a lot of that game, but their defense kept them in it, and Iowa State slowly got back in it towards the end. And I can see that being, if Iowa State does run into trouble in this game, which is very possible, I do think at the end is when the defense will kind of figure it out. And by the end of the game, I think Iowa State will have a comfortable win. I liked Oregon coming into the season. I think the opt-outs killed them. I think just this whole crazy six-game sprint kind of hurt them and affected them. That Oregon State game, uh, that was just an insane game to be a part of for them. And it's kind of a fluky season for them. And I think they're just going to run into a team that's played more games than them. So they have, uh, they're have they a lot further along in the year than they are. So I like Iowa State in this one. Again, I, I feel bad picking all favorites. I already know that's asking for trouble, but I, I, I looked over all these games last night and it was just like, I, I was trying to like convince myself anyway to take an underdog, but it's tough, man. These favorites are looking pretty good this weekend. Yeah, and I, I, I definitely won't ignore that Oregon ha- hasn't been like the team that, you know, we've seen in years past because they've had very Q- good QBs in the past. Um. And like they, they just overall been more dynamic in, in the past. But I'm not gonna put it past this this team to um to perform because like they've had like some big chunk plays all season. Like I wish I had a statistic on that, but I didn't really think about it. Um, but yeah, like I, I th- this team hasn't had trouble moving the ball per se. They they've kind of had a similar problem to Iowa State, you know, faltering in key moments not not really getting the job done like every, almost every game they've been in has been competitive so yeah i i can't i can't write them off they they've played some good teams now we we could talk about the discrepancy between like Iowa State and a top pack 12 team 
that could be worth considering. But I I think Oregon could when when I look at this game and look at these teams' strengths and weaknesses, I, I think Oregon there is a path for Oregon to to take the victory. But I'm not picking them. To be clear. Well, we're pretty boring right now because we're on the same page with every single bowl. Let's hope we start to disagree soon. But the Orange Bowl is our final non-playoff bowl game of the group of, of the New Year's Six. And we have, stop me if you heard this one before, another game with a depleted team. And that's North Carolina, who are missing their top two running backs, their leading receiver, and their leading tackler. I think missing Javante Williams and Michael Carter is the biggest problem for North Carolina as both of those guys ran for over a thousand yards this year. Javante Williams averaged 7.3 yards per carry. Carter averaged eight yards per carry. So these guys were dynamic playmakers and they kept this North Carolina offense humming. Of course, Sam Howell has been great. I I think he had a, a, a bit of a slow start and then really found his groove later on in the season. But now he's going to miss his top receiver in De'Ami Brown, who had 1,000 yards himself and eight touchdowns. It's really tough to see this North Carolina team, who is already going to struggle with A&M, to lose this many key players and stick in the game with Texas A&M, who they have three players questionable as well, but it looks like they'll probably get a couple of those ready for the Orange Bowl. Can this depleted team hang with A&M, Nick? I... I really don't see it, honestly. Like you said, this offense was so dynamic with with these pieces. And, like, this is a team that has thrived off of its offensive, like, firepower, I would say. Most of the time. I guess you could look at games like Miami. But even Miami, I guess that's garbage time. Even Miami, they gave up, like, 26 points against them. And, like... This is a team that that was fourth in the in the nation in, in total yards, total offensive yards. So like when, when you just take that away, you take everything that made it that made this team what it is. Take away basically its identity. It's going to be very hard to to recover from that. And you look at the other side, you got Texas A&M, who overall is just a solid team, you know, very efficient on offense, ha- has its moments on defense and I, I just don't see it out of all of these games. This is probably the one where I don't see a path for for the underdog to win at all. And I, I would take Texas A&M in this game handily. Yeah, I, I think the defense is going to be the big. I think their defense, A&M's defense is going to really shut down the North Carolina offense. And it's crazy to say that they're coming off their last game, which they scored 62 points on the road. They're going to be playing in Miami again this time. I just think losing all of those players. And I know I said it kind of it might help Florida a little bit because and maybe it does help North Carolina in the same sense of, hey, now we got new guys to step up in. And, you know, they have something to prove. This is against especially against the top five team in the country. They have something to prove in Miami. But. I think the difference there is the recruiting. And while North Carolina's recruiting has gotten a lot better over the years, they are starting to match up with these power programs. I think Florida has still done a better job recruiting as of years past. When you look at the past couple of years recently and North Carolina has done a stout job, but still not as deep as they're trying to be. And I think their 2021 class is going to be top five, if I'm not mistaken. I haven't checked on that recently, but I remember at one point I looked at it and they were on track to have a top five class. So when you look towards the future, I love this North Carolina team. They are a team that's going to give Clemson some problems eventually. Maybe not next year, but the year after and the year after that, I would definitely watch for North Carolina to start making some legitimate moves in the ACC. But this year, with, with missing all these guys and playing against a top five A&M team who is probably a bit pissed off that they're not playing for the playoff, rightfully, unrightfully so, who knows? But I think A&M soundly takes care of North Carolina in this one. Yeah, I don't, I don't think I have anything else to add. I, I think this is pretty cut and dry. Well, let's get to the big ones then. We got the Rose Bowl, which is not taking place in the Rose Bowl. It's actually going to be in Arlington at Cowboy Stadium, but still playoff game nonetheless. Alabama and Notre Dame is going to start this. 
Alabama, 19 and a half point favorite <laughs> over Notre Dame. Oof. Big, big number. Now, in terms of injuries, Kyle Hamilton, this was the biggest player for Notre Dame that they were monitoring. He will play. The big safety is going to be suited up for the Rose Bowl. LeBron Ray for the Alabama is questionable. And I'm sure this is uh, Jalen Waddles progress for this game it was actually interesting because i think a lot of us figured he was out for the season and then slowly in the past couple weeks it's been creeping up that hey you know waddle could be healthy come january it's possible and it doesn't look like he's gonna play in this game but you know the door has not been shut closed for him returning either this game or the the, uh, final game if they get to it but moving on to just this matchup now, Notre Dame was one of the best teams all season long. They got that win over Clemson. They were undefeated the entire way up until their final loss to Clemson in the ACC championship. They're going up against another high caliber opponent in Alabama. What do they need to do to compete in this game? Like, honestly, I think it needs to be a near flawless performance dreamlike maybe like i think wow i think the qualities that notre dame has i think they need to make it amped up to their maximum potential you know solid defense ian books managing the game get you know high high percentage completions you know really moving the ball um establishing the run like they need to because I don't see I don't see a world where they completely shut down Alabama. They're gonna need to keep up with Alabama in some regard. So you're gonna meet you're gonna need your offense to be at the top of its game, and you're gonna need your defense at the very least to either force force some key turnovers. And like e- even looking at that, um, because like I feel like I feel like that's kind of what happened against their win against Clemson. I I, I think that's like like you know all those qualities we associate with this Notre Dame team really really got shown and they they really played to 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 their maximum level but even against even in, against Clemson in the ACC championship game like they got some turnovers they forced Trevor Lawrence to throw a pick early in the game and they just weren't able to capitalize and i just see like i i don't i see like if they let those opportunities slip away against Clemson I don't know how they're going to do against Alabama either because Alabama is on the same level, if not better than Clemson on, on all sides of the ball. So yeah, it's, I, I see this one being rough for, for Notre Dame, unless they, they pull out a really, really, really good performance. I think when you look at Notre Dame season, yes, their defense has been great, but I think the thing that's been pushing them, throughout this whole season has been their running game. Yeah. And when you look at the game against Clemson, they ran 30 times for just 44 yards, averaging a yard and a half per carry and only getting one touchdown. Kyron Williams had 50 yards, but then you had some minuses here and there. So that kind of took away from, but even 50 yards on 15 carries is not going to get it done. But then when you compare that to their, the first time they play Clemson in South Bend, they ran the ball 41 times for 209 yards, and they won that game. So that's going to be the difference in this game. If they can run the ball against Alabama, and LeBron Ray missing this game would definitely help them a lot in that aspect. But if Notre Dame can run the football in this game, they have a chance to win this game. They have, in my opinion, the best offensive line in the nation. So you bring that experienced unit, put Kyron Williams, who's been electric throughout the season, rushing for over 1,000 yards, 12 touchdowns this year. You get him going and Notre Dame will be in this game, but they have to get it going. And, you know, with Alabama's crazy high powered offense, it might be tough to stick to the running game. If you're down 17, nothing in the second quarter, it's going to be really tough to want to commit to that. So they cannot fall behind early. That is another key thing. You have to run the ball and you cannot fall behind early. Those are the two biggest factors. If either of those don't happen, I see Alabama running away with this. Their offense is too good. Najee Harris, Devontae Smith are not going to be held down in check for too long. You can hold them down for a little bit, but don't think that you're going to get away the entire game without hearing a peep from either of those two guys. 
And that's Kyle Hamilton is going to be a big, he's been one of the best players for them defensively on that side. And then you got Jeremiah Owusu-Koroma. He's been outstanding. He's going to be probably a first round draft pick this upcoming year. It's been a fun year for Notre Dame. They've played a lot of good football and coming down to this game against Alabama, it's going to be getting back to the basics. Do what you've been doing all season long and you'll be able to compete with Alabama. They're, they're big and scary. Yes, but Notre Dame should also understand that they're big and scary. They were a team that dominated everybody coming into the, the Clemson game a few weeks ago. So I like Alabama in the end, but I, this one I actually think will be a bit close. I don't think it'll be, you know, I could see it maybe being about a 10 point game. If, if you had put a gun to my head and asked me for the legit, the score exactly, I would say Alabama by 10 points in this game around that area. I, I just think this this game has way too much potential, like you said, actually, to get away from them early. And I think we're going to need to see very competent offense from Notre Dame early to for them to stay in this game. Whether that's controlling the ball or getting easy completions with Ian Book moving down the field. Like, I guess the I guess the um the one thing I would say about Notre Dame in this game um, unless, unless it, it turns out like that, that Alabama comes out of the gate and just utterly, um, just like destroys their defense or whatever, which, which is possible. I, I would say to, to Notre Dame, like take your time getting these points, um, and, and trusting your defense at the beginning. If that, I, I feel like once, once that's out the window, it's going to be very hard to find a scenario where they win this game. So that I feel like that's what they have. Well, to do another, football. another area, they forced 17 turnovers this year. They're, a I know they're a great. That likes to, they, they find the ball. So if they can force some turnovers, Mac Jones, isn't perfect. I think they can definitely but, get an interception or two off. But him. that's what I was saying. So, like they did that against Trevor Lawrence early and they just didn't capitalize on it. Mm-hmm. And like, that doesn't happen against Trevor Lawrence that often. Like you make him make a mistake early, you you gotta go and, and and get those points, and they just didn't do that. So I I want to see more efficient offense out of this game, and I don't want them, you know, taking like stupid risks. And I I just want to see them get get points, convert on, on big downs, and that that's why I want to see from this team if they if they're to win in this game. Mm-hmm. I think it'll be a lot better than what the spread indicates. And I think what some other people are indicating, I think it'll be a fun game moving on to the final game that we're going to cover today. And we're getting to Trevor Lawrence, who we just brought up Clemson and Ohio state in a rematch of last year's Fiesta bowl, which was one of the best college games we've seen in a while. And I mean, every year bowl season brings you a couple of those great games. And last year Clemson, Ohio state probably was the best one. Man, now you got a rematch, and these teams aren't fully, you know, you're not bringing 100% back from last year. And Ohio State is definitely missing some guys who made an impact last year. But I think it's still going to be a fun game nonetheless. Ohio State's biggest issue is that their injury report is a mile wide. And you got guys like Chris Olave, Marcus Hooker, Paris Johnson, Baron Browning, their punter, Drew Chrisman. All of them are questionable. Now, the Big Ten did alleviate some of the pressure on Ohio State by adjusting that rule in which it was 21 days. Uh, I'm guessing for, nobody really knows what's going on with these guys, but the the implication is that it's COVID related. So if you take down from 21 days to 17 days, it looks like they're going to get back a good amount of these guys. And hopefully the most important, I think, especially for their offense is Chris Olave, because he's been so good for them all year. And he has such a great relationship with Justin Fields. That him plus Garrett Wilson is a dynamic duo and they'll put in work if they're together in this game. On the Clemson side, they only have one question. Are they going to get their lead pass rusher, Xavier Thomas, who's tied for the team lead in sacks? If he's not playing, that is definitely going to hurt. Getting pressure on Justin Fields will be very important in this game. We saw it against Northwestern, how they got some pressure on him and they made him uncomfortable. Clemson's definitely going to have to do a lot of the same. Now we'll get to the pick, but just asking off all these injuries and off all the turnover from last year. Do you think this game this year will be as good as they their game last year? 
I mean, that's tough to follow up. Like it is tough. Yeah. It, it's it, that was a very very good game. I think if Ohio State plays their best football, it can definitely be that good. But that remains to be seen because of of their struggles. Um, yeah, just overall. So it it, it could live up to that potential, but it's. It's with the way Ohio State's playing right now compared to how they were last year. It it leaves something to be desired. So I uh, I guess on paper probably not. My biggest concern, I, I mean, in terms of the game, I think the game will be fun, but I don't think it's going to live up to last year just because I think Ohio State isn't the same team exactly. I don't think they're going to get blown out necessarily. But I mean, there is the the writing is on the wall for them to get blown out. When you to- look at their secondary and how bad their secondary has struggled this year, in a Big Ten conference which doesn't have many good quarterbacks, to be truthfully honest, they they have some True. guys who can play, but they're they're not, they don't have a Trevor Lawrence or anything really close to that. Ohio State has not seen that this year. Michael Phoenix kind of lit them up early on in the year when they when Indiana came into town. Northwestern they did they struggled with. Peyton uh, Ramsey early on in that game, but towards the end, they figured him out. It's just tough because Trevor Lawrence is not a guy you can just, you know, let let you up in the first half and then survive it the second half. If you want to beat Clemson and Trevor Lawrence, you're going to have to mitigate him as best as possible throughout the entire game. So that's the, the biggest concern with me is how Trevor Lawrence is going to attack this Ohio State secondary, which is definitely fallen off in compared to recent years when you got guys like Marshawn Lattimore and Denzel Ward. Those guys are not in the building anymore. So Ohio State's pass defense has to step up and this is their game to step up because th- this is the matchup right now. It, and nothing else really matters. I think Ohio State's offense can maybe keep up with the Clemson's defense. I don't know if we're going to see a 50-50 to 50 shootout, but if they can't cause a turnover anywhere along this game i think clemson is going to run away with it um yeah and we just talked about this with the notre dame alabama game but and i hate to sound like a broken record i think the same potential is here in terms of this game getting away early from ohio state and we we know how much clemson likes to run up on teams in the first half and i don't think ohio state is exempt exempt from that I, i really don't and I think Justin Fields is definitely going to have to to play better than he has. Um, you know, we, we've seen some very uncharacteristic like turnovers this year compared to the last year from him. I, I, I think those are definitely not not optional in this game. You, you can't afford to make those mistakes. And yeah, the, like you said, the defense need, needs to step up, at least get one turnover um, so they can. Um, you know, make this game more competitive. I, I think Ohio State has a chance. Like I said, if they have the if they play their best football, because we've seen what they can do at their best. I, I don't deny that that ability is still there from this team. But we we need to see that over the course of an entire game and uh, against top level competition. And that remains to be seen. That's where the doubt comes from. So they, there's a chance for there's a path for them to win this game, but I would take Clemson in this game because they just appear to be the better team all season long. Offensively, Ohio State has the firepower to keep up. And when you talk about their running game, Trey Sermon was outstanding in the Big 12 championship. I mean, we know what he did against Northwestern. Master Teague was the guy who was carrying the load for most of the year. And then out of nowhere, Trey Sermon just bust out 300 plus yards in the Big Ten Championship, but their running game's good. Their top two receivers are very good, but then when you look outside of that, right, so Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave both have 38 and 36 receptions, respectively. Nobody else on Ohio State has more than 10 receptions. So I think that is a problem because, say, Clemson gets in one of these guys and holds down one of these guys, you're now looking at an offensive attack that is now limited. And you can't limit yourself in a game where I feel like Ohio State has to score pretty much every time they have the ball. That's how I'm kind of looking at their game plan. If they're not scoring every single time they have the ball, 
they're going to fall behind early and Clemson's just going to run away with this. And it could, I, I think this has more potential than Bama Notre Dame to be a blowout, in my opinion. I know that's probably contrary to popular opinion, but I think this game has is screams blowout to me way more than Alabama Notre Dame does. Yeah, I wouldn't agree with that. Like, I, I think Ohio State is just a better team offensively than um, Notre Dame. And I guess Notre Dame makes up for it on the defensive side of the ball. Meanwhile, Ohio State's secondary has been um, not good. Not good. So, yeah, I, I see the point, but, but I would disagree. Well, let's move on to this now. We talked a little bit about Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields. I mean, Justin Fields is not going to be in this much, but he was considered to be at one point. The Heisman Award is going to be given out. I, I actually, you know what? I probably should have looked that up before we got into this, when it's going to be announced. That's a good question. Because it's, it's a weird year this year. So while I get that up, we have our pretty much our three guys who it's looking like Devontae Smith, Mac Jones, and Trevor Lawrence are the top three guys. Now, okay, it's January 5th, so that is, so that's going to be after they play in the playoff, which is going to be very interesting. So January 5th, we will have our Heisman crowned. Devontae Smith is the favorite at this point, which is very interesting. But I brought up those other two guys, right? If you're going to pick a quarterback this year, I'm giving you Mac Jones or Trevor Lawrence. Who are you taking out of those two? Okay, that's a trick question. That's a trick question. Oh, is it? It is. It is, a, it is a trick question because, like, okay, are we taking into account that Trevor Lawrence missed games? Do I want a QB that missed games over a QB that didn't miss a game? Um, I mean, like, if we're if we're being honest, Trevor Lawrence missing a game is what cost Clemson a win. But like, obviously, that's not on him. But I'm just talking about resumes in general. So, like, I don't know. I feel like that's a tough question. And that's why I wouldn't consider either of them for the Heisman. Because I think there's a wow. there's a very clear Heisman winner. And I think it's it shouldn't even be a debate, to be honest. Well, I'll just answer the question since we get somewhat of an answer. And then we'll, we'll debate after that. Because I, I, I have definitely a bone to pick with you on who you think. But for Mac Jones and Trevor Lawrence, I know Lawrence missed the games. He has games missed. But I think when you look at the most outstanding player in college football, how has it not been Trevor Lawrence? In term, well, if you look at the quarterbacks, I mean, I, I think whenever he's in the game, he makes the biggest impact out of any quarterback in the nation. And maybe that's not the name of the Heisman. Maybe it's yeah, oh, and that's what I'm saying. Stats more. Maybe you want to look at stats, and that's you're rightfully so. To do, you can do that because Mac Jones does blow him away in most of these stats because he's played more games. But I don't look at stats as my end-all, be-all. I look at Trevor Lawrence's season, and I see a very successful season. And I see the biggest thing that he does is he leads his team to wins. And I know quarterback wins aren't a quarterback stat, and I'm a big proponent of that. I no, with Trevor Lawrence, it kind of is, to who, be honest. Like, but it, it, exactly. Like, with him, it's different because he's been, I think he's 34-1 and one since he's got there as starting quarterback. Yeah. When he's in the game, there is a huge impact. And his numbers may not look as good. Because they usually take him out. And most of these games, the first half, he was out after the first half. So his numbers are never going to be with, you know, Mac Jones's or Kyle Trask has been this year. His numbers aren't going to get there just because he doesn't play enough football. And he didn't play enough football this year to get there. But I, I see 22 touchdowns, completing almost 70% of his passes, almost 3,000 yards. I, I've watched, from what I've watched this year, every time I've you know, gone week to week, I've always left each week thinking that Trevor Lawrence is the best player in college football. So in that sense, I think he should he has a, a strong case to the Heisman. But let's, now let's move on to the other uh, side of the Heisman. It's looking like it's Devontae Smith. And I'm guessing Devontae Smith is your pick for the Heisman this year, correct? Yes, he is. Okay, well, uh, listen, I definitely understand that. He is, I, for me, here's how I look at it. 
Devontae Smith has been the most electric player in college football this year. But I, that you won't get any debate with I, me. I feel over like that. that's I not think enough he's credit. Been electric. I feel like electric isn't enough credit because no, I I I think it is. I mean, I I, he has seven, I think no, he's been a fantastic player, but I don't know. I, I think he's more of a. It's it's more like because uh, he has all the big plays, right? I feel like every time you watch this year on SE, like CBS, they have the Alabama game. And here's Devontae Smith breaking off another 70-yard touchdown. And it's just amazing. It's like he does this every week. And it's it really is incredible. Wow. See, I'm all like wound up here. It really is crazy what he's done this year. But when I look at Najee Harris, I look at a guy who has more. And I guess he's got more touches, which is the going to be the fight here. So he has had more like total yards than Devontae Smith has this year. And he's had far more touchdowns. He's had 27 touchdowns on the year. And he's had more total yards than Devontae Smith. So I think when you're comparing that and when you're asking, okay, the Heisman probably should be from Alabama, right? Because Alabama has had the best offensive attack this year. It's not going to be Trevor Lawrence. I think it's going to got to be the guy who's been the best player on Alabama all season long. And to me, it's not Devontae Smith. It's Najee Harris. I don't think... Saying that Devontae Smith get just gets a big plays is giving enough credit to to what he he's done this year. I mean, you look at what he's had to step up to because when Jalen Waddle got hurt, people were legitimately questioning what uh, what was next for Alabama, how big of a hit this would take on Alabama. I remember when you said that you would take Jalen Waddle over Devontae Smith. I I don't know if you've changed on that at all. But like this, this was the level of impact that that we're talking about to this team. We we were because some people thought Jalen Waddle was Alabama's best player. And what does Devontae Smith do? He steps up. He goes into that role. People people double cover him. People do whatever they can to stop him. Game in game out, and they just can't do it because he's he's just been proving this year that he he's that good of a football player. And I feel like. His performance, along with the adversity he's had to deal with this year and what what he's had to perform to, you know, he hasn't always had to. Well, what's the word I'm looking for? Like he he wasn't always considered the best player on this team. Um, and, and to you, he's still not. And he he just makes plays for this for this team week in and week out. And I think that consistency, you know, the the fact that he's had to to step into different roles and like the, the different um areas of the game where he succeeds in, because we're not even talking about his work on special teams when it comes to his performance as a player. I, I think overall that Devonte Smith deserves the award because I think he, yeah, I think I just think he's meant the most to his team this year. And when it, when it comes to Devonte Smith or Najee Harris, I, I definitely agree with you. That that's a debate that can be had, and I wouldn't be mad at anybody for saying Najee Harris is the best player on that team, but I don't think it's like a big gap at all. I think it's a it's a very close discussion, and when I just look at you know the storyline for this year for Devonte Smith, I, I think he deserves it. Well, I'm just gonna disagree with the fact that you said. You know, the most important part, most important player has been Devontae Smith on Alabama. I, I, I disagree completely just because when you look at the, I'm looking at the game logs right now, Najee Harris has had two, at least two touchdowns in eight of Alabama's 11 games. And I'm sure if I do the same for Devontae Smith, it's probably, you know, he's had multi-touchdown games in one, two, three, four, five, six, six of 11 games. So not that far behind. It, it really isn't that big of a gap between Harris and Smith. But I just think week in and week out, especially in the SEC championship game, you talk about a five touchdown performance no, and it's over, well over 200 yards. I, I think he's, but he's been doing this. And I think he's done this all year, been the most important player. He's had multiple five touchdown games this year. I think that's insane. I think he's always relied on. I think Devontae Smith is a great player and he has had a huge impact on this roster. And especially with Jalen Waddle going like Devontae Smith deserves all the credit in the world. He's boosted his draft stock. I remember I probably talked a couple, a month or two ago and said he was probably a top of the second round pick. He's definitely skyrocketed way past that at this point. 
he is on his way to being a legitimate. He could be a top 10, top 15 player in this year's draft. But Najee Harris, to me, has been the best player on Alabama. And it's tough to me. So I guess, like, you disagree there, which is cool. But, like, for you, like, I would ask you, right? How would you feel taking a guy as the Heisman who you don't think is the best player on his team? You probably would be like, well, why would I do that? I would just take the best player on well, the guy's team. I would, I would take the player who I think has has performed the most. Like, I, I think, like, mm-hmm. that's that's why I struggle with the Mac Jones, Trevor Lawrence thing. I, I really appreciate, like, statistics and, like, how much you contribute to a team. And I know, like, Najee Harris has, like, 20-plus touchdowns on the year, all these multi-touchdown games. But if you're looking at total yards contributed to a team, Devontae Smith, um, like outrakes him, I think. I'm not sure. Actually, I'm not taking into account receiving yards. So not in total, yeah, not in total yards, but like the the difference there is Najee Harris touches the ball far more yeah, than yeah, Devontae yeah. Smith yeah, does. You're so right. it like Smith does edge him there, but yeah, in terms of total yards, it is Najee Harris. Yeah, because I, I forgot about receiving yards for a second. My bad. Mm-hmm. But like like I feel like because it's so tough, because Devontae Smith doesn't just contribute on like because you you could look at Najee Harris and be like oh he, he's a great receiving back he he's great with the ball in his hands just running the ball and then you have Devontae Smith you have a guy who makes plays on special teams for you you have a guy who game in game out puts up monster performances receiving the ball and I just feel like when you take all of that into account you can't like say that one of these guys is just has definitively contributed more to the team i guess maybe touchdowns if you want to go there but even then like Devonte smith has like 17 touchdown receiving touchdowns in less touches and special teams actually i don't know how many special teams touchdowns he has offhand and i mean you could also argue that Devonte smith probably set up Najee harris for a lot of his touchdowns this year that's true big plays, getting them into i mean that i didn't position. so i wasn't even thinking about could de- that you could definitely you could definitely argue that as well I don't, for me, it's just different because I, it's a very close call between these two guys. But for me, I want to pick the best, who I think is the best player of these two should be the Heisman. Because I think Alabama's had the most high-powered offense this year. They have really just dom like they've smothered teams with their offense. And I, I think it would be fair to give the Heisman to the best player on this offense. Now, some are going to say it's Devontae Smith like you. Some are going to say it's Najee Harris like me. Others are going to say it's Mac Jones. So it's going to be really interesting to see how all this unfolds as it might be a thing where like Alabama guys take away too many votes from each other and like Trevor Lawrence ends up winning as a result of that. But I think if you gave me this has been a very up and down year of college football, but I think the three guys you got right now in this in terms of i mean Najee harris is not even in it i think it's just mac jones lawrence and Devonte smith so my pick is already out of the running really but you think so i would say no i think they already came out with like oh yeah the, no, you're right you're right you're right when they right. when they list the guys to invite i think they already yeah, pretty yeah. much tell you like these guys are out of it uh but yeah Najee harris is not gonna win heisman this year but you got to wonder if he took away some votes from his Alabama teammates. And it's just going to be interesting to see how the voting process plays out this year. What what puts Devontae Smith over the edge for me, and I and I don't want to repeat, repeat this a bunch of times, but the fact, listen, you have a receiver who is ahead of you on the depth chart, and he goes out for the year. And you have to fill that spot and rise to the occasion. And he did that and more. And I feel like when it comes to the Heisman as well, you have to look at like you you have to look at the adversity players have gone through. You have to look at what's happened throughout the season. Not not just I don't want to say not just on the field because it very much has to do with what's on the field. But like, I don't know. There there's something there's something else about the Heisman that like I, I really don't know how to describe it. Like I, I'm lo- I'm lost for words right now. But I think like when you have to when when you have to deal with something on your team and the responsibility solely falls on you that pressure's on you and you show everyone that you are that good I, I don't know i think that that means something to me when i look at like a player who deserves the heisman 
Yeah, I mean, listen, if you're going to ask me to pick between the remaining guys, I'm with you. I, I think it's Devontae Smith, but my pick is outside looking in this year. So that'll wrap up our Heisman talk. Nick, anything else you got to add before we get into New Year's Six? This is random. This is kind of random, but um, okay. Let's hear did it. you see that PJ Fleck is getting like NFL like coaching yeah. like looks? Yeah, I was surprised. But I just saw that. Well, he, well, he definitely was last year, and no, it was like two I hours guess, ago. It was like Tom Pelissaro. Yeah, I no, exactly. But it was just interesting because last year they had a great season. They had one of their most successful seasons in a very long time. This year they they did not look very good, and I, know. I, I guess you can't really chalk up to because this is such a weird season. You can't re- maybe you can't, you know, fully get on guys. He had an 11 win season. If he had the same interest in 2019, it would make sense that he still has it in 2020. But yeah, a little interesting just because they're coming off a pretty pedestrian season. They lost to Wisconsin to end off the season. Yeah, I just, because like also when I was looking at this, a lot of people were roasting it like very badly. And I, I don't know I because I've been thinking about it the like past few hours on how I feel. I kind of agree with, I don't know how exactly, his coaching style would translate to the NFL right away because he's he's very much like a guy who feeds off player energy and like you know hyping guys up. He's very much a player's coach, so I don't know. It would be interesting, but I, I wouldn't write him off right away. Like people people were roasting like the fact that he was even getting looks. I I didn't understand that, but it would definitely be be interesting to watch. I think. Another thing the NFL teams love are the guys who can turn around situations really quickly. And when you look at what Matt Rule did, Matt Rule did at Temple and what he did at Baylor, I think that's kind of what got him with his role in the Panthers. I could see that. P.J. Fleck at Western Michigan, they were one of the worst teams in college football. And by his last season, they were in a New Year's Six Bowl. So he was able to turn them around. Minnesota has been pretty pedestrian as of late, and he got them to a 10-11 win season last year. So, you know, I, I understand where the looks are coming from, but uh, I, I still think there are probably guys who are a bit more deserving at this point. But, you know, down the line, you know, I would say let, you know, he's still probably young. He, do, he doesn't he's, look too he's old. Like 40. So I, he's like 40, I think. Yeah, so I, I figure for him, might as well ride out Minnesota. They probably signed him to an extension Sometime no, they did last year, yeah, maybe they did. this offseason. So I would ride that out a little bit and wait for the wait for the right job to come to him. You know, don't I mean, I'm sure it's his life does whatever he wants. But for him, I think the the better idea would be to just like kind of keep building up Minnesota, keep stacking up your resume and wait for the perfect NFL situation. to come. And you know what? Maybe it's coming along this year. Maybe the Jacksonville Jaguars want him to come work with Trevor Lawrence. Maybe that is the perfect role for him. So. See how it uh, turns out. But yeah, that is pretty interesting because I wouldn't have thought for him to be I, the biggest guy I think of when, for coaching searches this offseason is Joe Brady. I think Joe Brady is going to get a lot of looks this year. When you look at what he, he did at LSU last year, the probably the best, arguably the best college football team of all time with that offense. Then he goes to the Panthers and that Panthers offense looked very, you know, they looked competent. You know, to say they the did. least. Yeah. Because they, they, they fought with teams like the Saints early on the season. And they, you know, they had a good passing attack. And I think teams are going to be after Joe Brady first and foremost before they get to the PJ Flex of the world. I don't know if it's going to be this year for Joe Brady. I think it might be next year. I'm, I'm not sure. I'm, I don't know why I'm getting that feeling that like he's not going to get a head coaching job this year. That maybe people want to see more. I don't know. But well, he's another. He's really young. I think he's under thirty. Yeah, exactly. Actually. That's why. That's why I'm so saying he, he's very young. I think. I think people just just because he he's so young might want to see like how how it sustains itself over time. I don't know, but like it, there's definitely a trend in the NFL of like you know young offensive minds getting getting coaching jobs. So I wouldn't. I definitely wouldn't write it off. But I, I don't know. I feel like maybe one more year under Matt Rule. And then he gets a coaching job. I don't know. Yeah. Well, we got a whole weekend of bowl games. And then we got week 17 of the NFL season, which is going to be a lot of craziness. So playoffs coming up. National championship coming up. Nick, we're ready for this, right? Um, I, I'm ready. I'm re- Actually, I'm not ready for NFL. 
I'm not ready for NFL. Oh. Because okay. I'm very nervous. Because Okay, the Raiders are out, which was devastating. Oh, enough. come on. Come on now. We really gotta Yeah, but if they okay, I will I will talk about the Raiders. But if the Chiefs win a Super Bowl on my birthday, I'm not gonna be able to live with it. Okay. It's not <laughs> it's not gonna be a it's gonna be a tough scene. So that's all I have to say. James, do you have anything else to say? Uh, no, nah, I'm good. We'll wrap it up here. We hope you guys enjoy all the football coming this weekend. We hope you enjoy the rest of your holidays and we will see you next time. Peace.